Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have redeemed your people and that you have gone before them to prepare a place. And Lord, as we meditate on that place this morning, I pray that you would fill our minds with uh, what is good and true and right and beautiful of good reports, that our minds would dwell on things above and not the things of the earth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So today I want to talk to you about heaven. I want to talk to you about heaven. A dear friend of mine at 43 years of age entered heaven last Saturday. And as it should be, it has me thinking about our deaths and our eternal dwelling places. We are taught by God's word that our Father is in heaven, right? It is where he dwells even as he is everywhere present, right? John Owen wrote this about why we can speak of heaven being where God is when he is also everywhere present. He said, the reason why God is said to be in heaven is not because his presence is included in a certain place so-called, but because of the more eminent manifestation of his glory there, right? He's everywhere, but he dwells in heaven. His glory is his, his manifested there in a wonderful way. In other words, heaven is where God most fully dwells because his glory is most fully manifested there. Heaven is the resting place of those who have been united to Christ by faith. Adam, my friend, is, is resting in heaven, right? Not, not for one moment, but for the rest of the time of his existence. He will, be, um, he will not be interrupted by a sinful thought. He will not be molested by a sudden temptation. Nothing like that will ever afflict him again. Heaven, as my friend now knows firsthand, is a place ruled by God who has established it as a country for his elect who will enjoy there an eternal Sabbath. Right? Rest and peace and love reign there in heaven. Seems strange to me that you do not hear sermons on heaven today at least not in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, so fixated on the earth. I think the reason we don't hear sermons on this is because we have become worldlings. We have really become fixated on this world and the things going on here. 
our theonomic friends have done damage to this doctrine of comfort, this, this doctrine of heaven. Um, by teaching that putting our minds on and hopes in heaven is lazy. It's to be uninvolved in the work of transforming government uh, into a theocracy. Blah. Right, our post-millennial friends have undervalued heaven because they focus their hopes on a golden age on this earth. Um, there are other Christians who have such a weird misconception about our lives after death that we live some sort of um, disembodied ghostly existence that us intellectual reformed believers right, get reactionary and every time heaven is mentioned, we rush in to make sure people know that there is an, there's this intermediate state right, and it's not that things are right, and then there's the resurrection of the body, and then eternal life on a redeemed and restored earth, and we go into all of this, you know, stuff. Yeah, and those are necessarily qualifications, and they, they are because they're scriptural, but let's not get our reformed undies in a bundle here. When a believer says that they just want to leave this world and go to heaven, right? That's a good thing. Even while we await the resurrection of our bodies, the, that intermediate state is glorious. It's peaceful. It's heavenly. Right? What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? Asks our shorter catechism. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. And do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, rest in the grave until the resurrection. Right? Those who die in the Lord go to be with the Lord, right? having been perfected in holiness. Their souls go to live in heaven where the Lord is. And then when their bodies are resurrected and their souls return to their bodies, they will live in heaven, right? which will now be on earth. Because wherever God dwells, right, wherever God dwells in this special, mysterious way we're talking about, that is heaven. Now, heaven is where God is, and, and later, after Jesus returns, heaven will be on this restored, redeemed, renewed, perfected earth. And it will be called the new heaven and the new earth. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So my concern this morning in preaching on heaven is not to get into the weeds of, of eschatological views or whatnot. My concern is to encourage you to hope for heaven. To hope for heaven and to make that fuel Right? That should be the fuel for you witnessing to other people about Christianity. 
about the Christian hope. Right? That hope is this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And to be in the presence of the Lord is to be in heaven where he dwells. It could be this month, it could be many years in the future, but unless the Lord returns, you will be laid in the ground and six feet of heavy dirt will press down on that casket in which is your body. Your soul, though, will be blissfully unaware of your body because your soul will be in the presence of the great God Almighty. Your soul will be in the presence of your Creator and the Creator of all things. And your soul will be in in, in the presence of your precious Savior, Jesus Christ. That reality should press into our lives at every moment, right? It should, it, it should press in everywhere, and that reality should be the fuel that you have to share the good news of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Heaven is real, and you can live there with God. That used to be the thought that caused missionaries to risk their lives to share the gospel. That simple thing. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And you, you are going to one or the other place. They would risk their lives to go around the world. Our own missionaries that we support have risked their lives to go around the world to share that message. They know that without faith in Christ, souls will be rightfully tormented day and night, forever in hell, because God is just and he has warned from heaven, all men. Right? And equally compelling is the warmth of the thought that we may dwell in heaven in God's presence through the provision he has made for us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So take a deep breath. This truth that heaven is real and you can live there is more substantial, it's more solid, it's, it, it's than, than the the constant concern we have for transformation of the political realm of this world. We've just come through an election season, right? We've just come through an election season and it seems clear to me that Christians are not very heavenly minded. Not at all heavenly minded, in fact. And shamefully, those who are heavenly minded are mocked by certain sectors of the Christian faith the Christian world as betrayers of the Lord because they've forsaken the political. And let me tell you though, when my friend was laid into his grave and we threw dirt on his casket, there was clarity of thought. Thoughts of the presidential election had no place in our grieving and our rejoicing brains. It just wasn't there. We didn't care who's going to be elected. Thoughts of any aspect of this worldly existence, doctor's appointments and college acceptance letters and what's for dinner were pushed out of our brains. Right? This one pervading thought, pervading thought uh, was, was there. One day... I will die and stand before God. One day I will die and the secrets of my heart will be revealed before God. 
One day I will testify before God Almighty about the greatness of His Son or not. And one day God will pronounce a verdict on me and that verdict will come instantly upon dying. And that thought used to be the animating principle of the missionary movement. Right? It is appointed unto men once to die, then judgment. But today our theology has no place for heaven because we're so infatuated with the earth. We try to win our neighbors with our conservatism, not with our hope in heaven. I mean, that's pathetic. We rail against the world and our ways and lose sight of the heavenly country of which we actually are citizens. We act like citizens of this country rather than as strangers and aliens in a foreign land awaiting our entrance into a heavenly country looking for the city, right, which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. We are worldlings who put as much stock in the institutions of this world as any statist idolater does. Because we just haven't fixed our mind on the things above. So we, dear brothers and sisters, should fix our minds on things above rather than on the things of the earth. Our orientation toward the world should be very simple. The, the apostle John writes, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world, get this, hard for a theonomic post-millennialist to suck this down, the world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The one who does the will of God lives forever. So the world is passing passing away. Take it lightly. Brothers and sisters, take these things lightly, um, but rather seek the will of God. Remember that you will live forever. Get your minds on heaven. Long for it. Learn of it. Study it like it's your home country, right? Ready yourself to live in it. Or if, if not, sink into the lust of this world. Just give yourself to them. What a terrible thing though, No? to be caught up in the lust of this world and be so swept up in it that your mind forgets there's an eternity to live ahead of you? An eternity? To be such a citizen of this world that you quit looking for the heavenly country. Let me say this before I get into some more concrete things on heaven. Some of you struggle with whether or not the teachings of the Bible are true. Some of you struggle with whether or not, uh, some of you think maybe we are just a cosmic accident from the collision of heat and light and dirt. And I give you permission as your pastor to dismiss those thoughts from your head. 
and to believe the glorious truth of Scripture. Stop struggling with those kinds of bleak thoughts and bleak imaginations and believe the Scriptures. Believe them. Believe them because what they speak of a God of love and a land of love in heaven are so beautiful. You will never receive a sign from heaven. Those of you who struggle with doubts, you will never receive a sign from heaven that convinces you in some sort of mechanical, empirical way of the teachings of Scripture. You will not. But the love and longing of your hearts are the sign that God has given you of His reality and His destiny for you. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Every, every fiber of your, uh, of your being longs for heaven, for rest, for righteousness, for a clear conscience, for love, for peace. And so I command you to disregard the distractions of your flesh that draw you down to earth. I give you permission to hope for heaven. I give you permission to fly in the face of the so-called intellectual masterpieces of man and believe what is written here in this book. I give you permission to live in such a way that the next life is first and this life is inconsequential. I give you permission to embrace the beauty of heaven, to leave behind the dark bleakness of the world in which the, the, this thought, this, leave behind this thought that at death you just cease to be. All memory gone, all sense of everything swallowed up. I give you permission to leave that behind. I give you permission to leave behind scientific certainty and to live by faith in Jesus Christ. Right? I urge you to believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I give you permission not to understand everything but to follow the longings of your heart right? and for the, rea the reality of living in the presence of a glorious God. That sense of not belonging means that you have a sense of your heart that there's somewhere I belong. And that's in the presence of God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and in his, pres in, in his presence eternally. Heaven awaits you. Live like it. Now back to John 14. Let's look at some of the details. This, this section of John's gospel speaks about heaven. It's the future home of the saints. Jesus taught, first of all, that heaven is his Father's house. It's God's home. It is the home of those who love Jesus, and after their death, they find themselves in this home. Believers go from being strangers and aliens in a foreign country to being home with their Father. And Ryle, J.C. Ryle says that this home is the place where we are loved to the end, where we are never forgotten, where we are always welcome. Ah. Oh. Because nothing in this life is ever like that. We're always forgotten. We're always awkward. And not in the moment. We're always, you know, shunned. But there, we're loved to the end. We're never forgotten. We're always welcome. Heaven 
Next, heaven has dwelling places. It's like a place unlike uh, this world where moth and rust destroy. There, the structures are permanent. They're eternally abiding. We'll move from a tent to an eternal dwelling place. Third, heaven is not just one dwelling place, but many dwelling places. You won't have to worry about finding a place or, or being gouged for your rent or, or getting on a waiting list. Right? Yeah. All saints, from da- King David to Augustine to Martin Luther to, to Aubrey Howard to Sandy Hicks, to you will have a home. The only people who will not have a dwelling there are unrepentant sinners and obstinate unbelievers. Fourth, Jesus will be there. This is perhaps the most incredible part of heaven. We don't often show up to a party because it's going to be at a certain cool building. Right? We go because we know our friends will be there. Well, for the Christian who has longed to be with Jesus, heaven will be glorious because Jesus is there. Where he is, we will be. Our souls will not go wandering in darkness. We will not be lost without direction. We will be with the architect and builder of that city who has loved us with an eternal love. It will be better than anything we've experienced because Jesus will be there. The worldly aren't really thrilled by thoughts such as these, are they? If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart at all, the thought of being there with Jesus will fill you with unspeakable comfort. The Savior of your soul. The one who knew you before the foundations of the world. Think about it this way. After the fall of mankind, all creation was corrupted except for one place. One place was not corrupted and that's heaven. Edward Donnelly, a theologian pastor, writes, Despite all the sin and tragedy, there is one untouched, uncontaminated, created realm where God's glory still shines in transcendent beauty, and that is heaven. Satan has been banished from heaven. In that joyful place, the holy angels worship and serve the Lord in all his majesty and splendor. In heaven, God's glory has always shone. In heaven, it keeps shining. And so, in a nutshell, God is there in heaven, accessible to those ones Jesus came to save. And this is the point that Jonathan Edwards makes in his wonderful chapter on, in charity and its fruits on heaven, a world of love. And if the Lord gives me any more days, you're going to hear this about a hundred more times from my pulpit, and you'll just have to suffer through it. Heaven is a part, it's, no, it's, it's interesting, both theologians, both Edwards and the other one I mentioned, talk about heaven being a, cre- a created part of it's a part of creation where God's um, glory dwells. And that makes sense. It's just uh, maybe a new thought to you. But Edwards says, Heaven is a part of creation that God has built to be the place of his glorious presence, and it is his abode forever. He, here will he dwell and gloriously manifest himself to all eternity 
This renders heaven a world of love. For God is a fountain of love as the sun is the fountain of light. Therefore, the glorious presence of God in heaven fills heaven with love as the sun, placed amid the visible heavens in a clear day, fills the world with light. There even in heaven dwells the God from whom every stream of holy love, yea, every drop that is or ever was, proceeds. There dwells God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, united as one in infinitely dear and incomprehensible and mutual and eternal love. There dwells God the Father, who is the Father of mercies, and so the Father of love, who has so loved the world as to give his only begotten Son to die for it. There dwells Christ, the Lamb of God, the Prince of peace and of love, who so loved the world that he shed his blood and poured out his soul unto death for men. There dwells the great mediator, through whom all the divine love is expressed toward men and by whom the fruits of that love have been purchased and through whom they are communicated and through whom love is imparted to the hearts of all God's people. There dwells Christ in both his natures, the human and the divine, sitting on the same throne with the Father. And there dwells the Holy Spirit, the spirit of divine love in whom the very essence of God, as it were, flows out and is breathed forth in love and by whose immediate influence all holy love is shed abroad in the hearts of all the saints on earth and in heaven. There, in heaven, this infinite fountain of love, this eternal three-in-one, is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it as it flows forever. There this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory and beams of love. And there this glorious fountain forever flows forth in streams, yea, in rivers of love and delight. And these rivers swell, as it were, to an ocean of love in which the souls of the ransomed may bathe with the sweetest enjoyment and their hearts, as it were, be deluged with love. I mean, seriously, you can have this whole world. There's nothing I want in it. Give me that. Give me that for an eternity. There's nothing I want. I mean, some think of heaven and God's dwelling there as boring, some think of that as boring. They're so caught up in playing with the mud pies and this, this side of glory, right? But what is left, left to them? You know, someone who thinks that vision is boring, what is left to them? No heaven above, no hell below, no soul, no consciousness after death, just a cold, cold, relentless world with mankind as a cosmic accident. I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that. I will put my hope in heaven. The God who created all wants us to be with him in heaven until that time and that blessed rest he has given us, a task of calling all the nations to learn all that Jesus has taught, including the glorious truth about heaven and eternal life in that realm. I think of many missionary efforts that seemingly care only for the body. They build orphanages to care for children. They get clean water to people. They supply business loans so people can get their businesses going. 
things like that. All of those are very good things. We should be doing that. Christians should be doing that. But very pointless if the gospel is not preached. Very pointless if, if this vision of heaven is not what is foremost and, and eternal life in Jesus Christ is not preached alongside those approaches to the body. To do that, with, to, to approach people, minister to people's bodies but not their souls was very popular in the early part of the 20th century. It's called the social gospel. Right? To care for people's comfort on earth and never to have in mind the eternity and the eternal destiny of every man in the future. Right? To do that is just a social gospel. Right? It's, to, um, it's to care for, souls, or for bodies and not souls. We, though, must always remember that death is coming. And after death, every man will face judgment. He will spend either an eternity in the glorious warmth and love of heaven or will weep and gnash his teeth in the place created for those who hate God. Yes, let's start orphanages, but only if the message of heaven and hell is taught there. Right? We must be concerned first for souls and only secondly for bodies. Heaven is first, earth is second. I wrote on my Facebook page the, the following provocative statement as I witnessed my libertarian brothers and sisters continue to denounce governing authorities and trade and conspiracy theories. I, I, I wrote, defy slash submit to tyrants with the faithful indifference of citizens of heaven faithful indifference. What I meant by it was that we are in danger of becoming worldlings who care more about politics and winning the arguments than we do about saving eternal souls. I know full well that in preaching such, I could be accused of disregarding passages such as the Good Samaritan or Jesus' exhortation and then so far as we meet someone else's needs, like with a cup of water, we have done it to Jesus. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care for people tangibly. We should, but we should never do so without having in mind the reality of death. It would be shameful if a man died with a full stomach and an empty heart. Devoid of faith. It would be shameful if a man's thirst was satisfied and yet had he, he had never been given the, the water of life. In other words, as I said in, in my post, we should not get so caught up in this world in our ways that we forget that we are strangers and aliens who have a citizenship in the eternal realm of God's presence, heaven. I mean, that should be impactful, shouldn't it? That should be hugely impactful. In such a perspective allows us to float through this life, doing our good works, but not getting our undies in a bundle about elections and viruses and natural disasters and cultural transformations. We are not citizens here. We are citizens of a far better country, and the glory of that country is what should preoccupy our minds, the glory of that coming country, which is the glory of God Almighty Himself. That should be the theme of our songs. It should be the animating principle of our holding things very loosely in this life. It should cause, I mean, 
It should be the cause of the joy that causes us to, to laugh along with God at the vain raging of the world. And yes, to not take it too seriously. To be above it. Is that heartless to you? I know some of my post-millennial friends would think it's heartless. Is that to be too heavenly minded and no earthly good? You know, detached? Is that to be too spiritualized? Is that to be too... Um, if, it's, if it is that and if it's a negative, well, I don't know what to say. I want heaven. And to hell with this world. And its ways. Is that heartless to you? Here's what John Calvin says about Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the Apostle Paul teaches that nothing is to be reckoned of any value except God's spiritual kingdom. Because believers ought to lead a heavenly life in this world. They mind earthly things. It is therefore befitting that we whose conversation is in heaven should be separated from them. We are, it is true, intermingled here with unbelievers and hypocrites. Nay, more, the chaff has more of an appearance in the granary of the Lord than wheat. Further, we are exposed to the common inconveniences of this earthly life. We require also meat and drink and other necessaries, but we must nevertheless be conversant with heaven in mind and affection. For, on the one hand, we must pass quietly through this life, and on the other hand, we must be dead to the world that Christ may live in us and that we in our turn may live in him. And then he concludes, he says this, as Christ is in heaven, in order that we may be conjoined with him, it is necessary that we should in spirit dwell apart from this world. Besides, where our treasure is, there is our heart also. Christ, who is our blessed and glory, blessedness and glory, is in heaven. Let our souls, therefore, dwell with him on high. On this account, he expressly calls him Savior. Whence does salvation come? Christ will come to us from heaven as a Savior. Hence, it were unbefitting that we should be taken up with this earth. I know I've overspoken up here to make my point. I'm not saying we shouldn't care. We, I mean, I'm, I'm urging you to share the gospel. I'm urging you to save souls. I'm urging you to go out because there is a day of judgment coming. That is caring for the world. But I'm telling you, there's a way you can care for the world and there's a way you can care for the world. You can care about the systems and the politics and the, and the, the nasty lusts and boastful pride of life of this world or you can care for souls. And we ought to care for souls. We ought to, we ought to try to get our neighbors to heaven. Right? Not to get them to be conservative, to buy into a political position, to, to, to begin this project of, of by the strength of our own hands reclaiming the earth. No, we should try to get them to heaven because they may die tomorrow. And then at that point, there is nothing left that they can do. They can't accept Jesus. 
And so that's what we should be fixed upon. It is unbefitting of Christians to be taken up with this world. So one last time, fix your minds not on the things on earth, but on the things above where Jesus is in heaven. Do as Abraham did when he looked for the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Look for things invisible and don't get caught up in the visible. Don't confine your thoughts to the land, but let your gaze penetrate as Abraham's did beyond the land to heaven. That's what we need to do. The death of your loved ones or your agony in nearing death yourself will remind you of what is of first importance. However good your motives in thinking about the world may be, you may be caught up in the world. The Christian's thoughts must always be filled with a vision of heaven, of Christ's glory, of the, of the what is to come, or his work will become proud, short-sighted, done for the wrong reasons. The form of this world is passing away. The form of this world is passing away, but Christ's heavenly kingdom will endure forever. It will endure forever. And we, we, those who know Jesus, will live there in his glorious presence forever. That, that is our animating principle. That is our joy. That is our hope. That is, that is the uh, vision at the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, right? The very opening of Pilgrim's Progress where he sees yonder wicked gate and he plugs his ears and he runs toward it. Eternal life, life eternal, right? Who's he leaving behind? He's leaving behind his family. How could that possibly be compassionate? How could that possibly be Christianity that he would leave behind his unbelieving family and run toward the gates? Well, it is because he's found his pearl of great price. He's found eternal life. He's found what is lasting and has lasting value. And that's our mindset. That's our mindset. And that mindset should fuel our missionary work. It should fuel our commitment to people. It should fuel all that we're doing. We will all one day die and stand before God.